podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouts Tommies. I'm Jim Boardman and as usual I'm with Jay Reed, and we're going to talk about this um, this stop-start strange roller coaster of a season. This is our second attempt at this by the way because someone's computer crashed. Um, good old Apple. If they're, looking, you know, if they're listening maybe you can send me a new one but if not, only kidding, if not we'll just, we'll just carry on won't we? We'll just see how far we get this time and it my laptop has just decided to be a bit like Liverpool this season because, as we were saying earlier, Jay, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it? We've had ups and downs. We had the ups and downs. We had the the six nil win. We've had the game against Napoli. We've we last time we recorded, we just had a bit of a rough patch, and we said, you know, maybe things are going to get better, and they did straight away with that big win, that big six nil. But oh, was it six nil in the end? Was it? It was more than that. Sorry, <laughs> nine nil. Sorry, wrong way round. I'm giving it away, aren't I? I'm giving it, giving them, giving it, making it easier. I think that's because it was so unbelievable, and that that is part of the season. It's been an unbelievable stop-start, strange season, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, well, before we we lost the beginning, but we said yeah, it was a roller coaster, and you know we we had a false dawn in sort of climbing to the top, and thought, well, maybe this is it. Now we turn the corner, and then before you know it, we were straight down the drop again. Uh, and there was no bigger drop really than Napoli. If anything, it was more of a log flu, and we just did the water crash, got <laughs> soaked. Um, and you know, we all come away heads down and didn't really know where to go next because our clothes were soaked. And you know, usually at that point in a theme park, you just sort of go home and give up, or maybe grab a McDonald's or something on the way back and just you know drown your sorrows in the back of the car <laughs> with soaking clothes, but. Um, we we picked ourselves back up. You know, we, we found some more tokens. We've we've gone again, as they say. Um, we had a nice win midweek. We huffed and puffed, but we we got there. Um, and you know, maybe it, it it's a blessing in disguise that we're not playing this weekend because Chelsea, the new manager, and all that. I know they only drew with Salzburg mid midweek, but you know, Graham Potter is a man I sort of do admire. He's he's done it the right way in terms of climbing to the top and you're always apprehensive going into games with, with clubs with new managers and I know it's Chelsea and I know they change managers more than people change their underwear but it's just one of them things the 
they're never nice games. We played them four times last year. We drew with them every single time. Um, I wouldn't have fancied going in to play them in our current iteration of what we are. So, you know, the, the, the lovely international break that we all really look forward to every single five times a year for, you know, those brilliant Nations League games that we're all enthralled by might be a blessing where we can get some lads back from injury. I know if Klopp's to be believed on the injury front, we're probably going to get the likes of Kanate back. Um, hopefully Jones is somewhere along the line coming back. Henderson might be back, I think, over the international period. And the new lads we brought in, Arthur, I know Darwin's probably going to Uruguay. We can sort of bed these lads in and work on a few things because... We do need to work on them. I think that that's the be all and end all. It's not working currently, so we need to find something that does and we need to find it fast because we're in danger of letting Cyborg, Haaland and Man City just run away with everything. And, you know, just when you thought maybe Dortmund and Jude Bellingham were we're going to get the, the best of them on Wednesday night, he, you know, elevates us for nine foot in the air and volleys over with a back heel and the inevitable happens and you don't want to feel like that this season but we can't let them be like that and we're the only ones I think who can actually lay a glove on them and we need to sort ourselves out and, and figure a way out to, to lay gloves on them because we don't want the season over before it really began. No, that's right. And I mean, there's there's not just them as well this season. There's like more oil money, as we spoke about before, has come into the game. So we've got to watch... You know, Newcastle, um, Chelsea, who were built on oil money, if you like, the current Chelsea, are now being, you know, they've been run by someone with even more money, who obviously doesn't seem to like the idea of keeping a manager too long. But as you say, there's that big risk of of playing those those teams that have just had a manager change. We've seen it before. Even even if it ends up being that the, the manager change wasn't any good, they seem to always seem to get a good first game as players kind of respond and, and up the game and stuff. So you're right, this this international break's come at a good time. One one of the things we were talking about earlier as well, and you kind of alluded it, to it then, is about getting the players working together. And I know some will be away, but you know we, we, we've got a problem in midfield. Now at the moment, you could argue the problem is because of injuries, because if every single midfield player we've got was fit, we'd have quite an array of players to choose from and an array of good players to choose from but injuries to our midfield are becoming like injuries to our centre-backs a couple of years ago that there's no one staying fit long enough to, to have a decent run we, we're having to rely on players like Henderson and Milner who as good as they've been for this club and I know not everyone is a fan of, of either of those players or one or both of those players but they are, they are well appreciated but they're older than they were when we won the league they're older than they were when we won the Champions League and relying on them both at the same time isn't isn't helping us. Is is this an issue, do you think, as well with recruitment that we must have known that these players are getting older, that some players are leaving, that some players haven't quite, you know, recovered from injury at all, as good as they are. You know, you, you think of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain who's, you know, had terrible trouble with injury. He was such a good player till he got that injury for us. Have, have we sort of, you know, at times as a manager, you need to be ruthless. And as much as you might love these players, if they can't put a shift in because their injuries are just wrecking things for them, can we can we afford not to buy in their place? I mean, it feels like this was all predictable this summer, wasn't it? And I think, as you said earlier when we started re- recording it, there's one player we've not replaced in that midfield from a couple of years ago for, for various reasons. He would have made a hell of a difference if he was still around. Yeah. 
it's 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 negligence, as, as I said before. We we lost that bit first, but uh, on somebody's behalf, it's negligence in terms of lack of recruitment in midfield because it was evident when we let Ginny Wijnaldum go. If you let a player go who plays I don't know, like three and a half, four thousand minutes, the stats guys on AI who do the pods so brilliantly know exactly how many minutes he played, how very few games he actually missed. Um, you, you can't let that walk out the door and not replace it or gamble on the fact that, you know, you, you've got Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones there who were, you know, a year younger than what they are now, young developing players. We didn't really know what Harvey Elliott was. Probably still don't know what he is. Um, I've... I've got a few mixed views on him, and he's a young kid, so he he gets the you know the advantage of time on his side to develop. Um, Curtis Jones, I don't really know what's going on with him. He seems to pick up a lot of little niggles and knocks. Um, and you know, as you mentioned, Oxley Chamberlain is is more time in the physios table than he is on the pitch, and aging legs in Henderson, Milner, even Fabinho and Thiago are now the wrong side of 30, as people would say in the in the you know the professional football game. But what we've got in Thiago is a man who, who runs the game, who who changes us and, and turns us into a, a different animal, a different beast. And I get a reference like like as we uh, we'd say before, I referenced him to, to Stephen Gerrard and we all thought those days were gone where this man in the middle of the park was running the game and if he's not there we're, we're a shadow of a team and it, it, it's it's negligent that we've got to this point that we've, we've got to rely on this fella and he puts more into the game than anyone else he literally he's a fan on the pitch which you know he, he's, he's not grown up as a Liverpool fan but his passion is his desire the way he constantly turns to the crowd to get them up and it was a joy to be there on Tuesday night just to watch him and and he basically relayed everything that we were feeling in the stands. He he wanted it more than anyone else and when you've got someone like that, you've got half a chance but to only have one really at the moment doing that is a bit of a worry as well. Um, maybe that that's something that we need to find within ourselves, the, the inner desire, the inner fire, the inner passion. Maybe, you know, the, the complacency word is creeping in and it's up to Klopp and the boys to to use this out to the lads and you know not give up the fight and you know not just be happy with what we've got because you know managers of yesteryear certainly wouldn't have allowed that. It didn't happen on their watch if you didn't put a shift and you didn't play and if you didn't want to be there you were out the door and you know Klopp's loyalty is a strength as much as it's his weakness and you you'll know better than I will about managers of yesteryear if if you didn't want to be there then you weren't there for long so something needs to change I don't know whether it's the recruitment whether it's Klopp Klopp seems to have taken it on his chin and said like I thought we were okay and then I realised that we weren't whether he's just the face of the club and saying that to you know divert attention that can only be left to speculation but I think it's pretty evident that we can't go probably into January and, and onwards and neglect that part of the field because we're weak in there and we brought one lad in in the summer we probably needed two or three if we can get 
one lad in in January and then another one or two next summer, then you know maybe the problem is is quickly plugged and and turned over and replaced. But at the moment, it's the massive elephant in the room in terms of where our downfall and weaknesses. Yeah, it is. It's 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 worrying, and I think we all looked at the. I, I always call it the COVID season, that that horrendous season when we just lost all our centre backs. And I look back at that season and think that could have so easily been avoided. But and it's, and then to say it's, but it's easy in hindsight to say these things because we never knew it was going to get that bad. But we now know it can get that bad, and it's just. It is worrying, and I think that you know that means you have got to look at letting players go, and that 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 means even if they're not they're not fully fit, and it, as you say, the loyalty thing it's it it's awful to do it, but I think most players would accept that's the situation, and that's how football is. And if if for whatever reason you know, luck you can call it luck if you like, you know, luck can win your games, luck can lose your games, and luck can ruin your career because of an injury or give you an opportunity because of an injury. I mean. Sometimes as a club as well, you drop lucky with injuries. I always look back to Robbie Fowler that he was quite clearly going to make it at some point, but maybe once he got his chances, as soon as he did and made the impact he did, if it wasn't for injuries. And so, but again, in a way for Liverpool at the time, it was luck that that Robbie was at that stage in his development that he could come in and show what he can do. And at the moment, I don't know. It just seems. I mean, is Cavallo a midfielder? That's a question we were asking earlier before we got cut off. Is is he a midfielder? Is he not? Is he either way? Is he the player that that was that we were looking at before the end of last season, thinking this is the player who can make a difference and 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 keep us going? Because no other club stands still. If you want to get somewhere in football and you were really breathing down someone's neck for a season, the next season you're not going to be breathing down their neck if you stand still. You've got to keep up with them and. That's what we just haven't done. We just haven't kept up with them, and I wonder is 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 it going to get out of our reach? Is is the oil money going to take it away from us? Can we not afford to compete with other teams? Is it the the owners being frugal? Is the cost of the new stand again? Is that is that hitting things? The loss of money that we had over COVID, are we still paying that back? I don't know, and it is worrying um, because I just don't see Liverpool being like this. Usually, it's just. And once you're behind, it's hard to get back again. Yeah, we've. I don't think we're short of cash. I think you know there's enough experts in the financial world out there who will say we're pretty alright for cash. Um, and the way the club finance these new stands that they've done, um, they do it in a smart way. So they're paid for in like four to five years, I think, or something like that. Um, and I'll just say that Anfield Road stand at the first game I went to was Ajax this week this season due to one reason or another I've missed four to five games but that stand is, is coming on pretty quickly and it it is big and it's mighty impressive so it's always good to go to the ground and see the developments of stuff like that um, but yeah it, it's not you know the billion pound stadium that Spurs have built and I know Spurs then got a, a refinanced the loan and stuff like that and They've invested a lot of money in the squad because, you know, as you say, if you if you're standing still, when you're going backwards in in the current game, and you know, if if we put where we are, I know we spent a few quid over the summer, but we recouped a lot as well. So standing still when the likes of Chelsea are, are throwing money around like it's going out of fashion, Spurs have invested a lot. They seem to be all in on Conte. You know, Arsenal are, are spending money and look to be improving slowly a young developing team United they're spending cash whatever 
you know, the Green and Gold Army say and Gary Neville on the soapbox shouts about. The Glazers do not refuse to spend money. They they put money into that club and, you know, they take money out, yes, but, you know, there's arguments to be had both ways. But they're, they're certainly not FSG in terms of balancing the books. They're, they're not short in, in, in throwing 60, 70 million quid out, you know. So we are, we are way behind in terms of our cash expenditure on players and obviously... City is city. They will they will cook the books more than you know poor Hollywood and Bake Off. So <laughs> you know it, it's something that it, it it's just one of the things we, we've grown to accept it. But but should we accept it? That's the thing. Like we could have just just a few more shiny tins in the pot. You know we 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 were inches away from a title a couple of years ago. We were you know. A point or two away from City the last few years. We were, you know, so close in Champions League finals against Real Madrid where, you know, games are won and lost on, you know, moments. Um you you do wonder if, if there was just a little bit more quality in the team and being able, you know, when when Mo Salah comes off in the Champions League final because Ramos tried to break his arm that you bring an Adam Lallana on. It's not the change you want. Um you last season you know, the, the midfield was the midfield. That's all we had. And there was no sort of change up there. And obviously the, the events outside and stuff we, we've got into that may have influenced the players and so on and so forth. But you do all just think, like, quite often we've looked at our bench and thought there's one or two players there. And wouldn't it be nice just to have four or five or six players? And we, we very rarely seem to have that option with us. And is it down to expenditure? Is it down to fitness? It's probably a bit of both, but yeah, it it, it it's just one of them things where we reluctantly accept it, but we probably shouldn't do. But would we want it? Dirty or your money? I suppose you wouldn't know until you were in the situation. You you probably put yourself in Newcastle's shoes, where if if you put a gun to their head and said like, "Are you happy with this?" They're gonna say, "Well, yeah," but if you want to be, you know, humanely right and say, "Well, look where it's coming from." It, it's it's not the the best source of cash in the world, but you know, football fans want to win games, they want to win trophies, and sometimes you will just overlook that. And I'm not asking for the sugar daddy, I'm not asking for oil money, but I'm just asking for a bit more hand in the pocket than you know, clenched fist. Yeah, I think I've I've thought about that with Newcastle and. If we were in their shoes or whatever, and we we easily could have been. I mean, Dubai tried to buy us all those years ago, and it, it's not too many steps away from that to what the Saudis are like, for example. And it's still oil money behind it all. At the end of the day, in fact, still the same people who were kind of helping Dubai try and help us are the people who, in the end, help help Saudi buy Newcastle. But I think I've worked out if it was us, we'd probably go along with it because it, especially if, if in Newcastle, like in Newcastle's case, it's have the oil money or probably get relegated in the end because you can't survive forever the way you were being run then. But I think we'd kind of accept it, but we'd also be campaigning and we'd be working on our owners and, and maybe starting a fight with them in a way that said, look, you've got to change your ways and maybe open dialogue and maybe get somewhere with them, who knows. But I think, I think yeah, I think most football fans, you... The end of the, at the end of the day, what you do is you want to sit there for those ninety minutes, enjoying that game and 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 feeling like you're going somewhere. And maybe we would, we would ignore it, but regardless of that, they're they're allowed to do it under all the current rules that are in place. So that's what what we're up against. That's who we're competing against. And 
that in a way to me this the way the season's going to be is that we're going to get you know there's no easy teams anymore and we've got to be ready for that but we should be the team that they all fear and I just don't feel we've got that at the moment I don't think teams are coming to Anfield frightened but I think teams do go to play City and they're frightened and it's you know, I've seen it in the past, going back to when Manchester United were winning things. They, you know, they they were going on about how great they were, but the amount of times you'd watch a game and their opponents just basically sat back and waited until they got hammered. You know, they'd sit, they wouldn't want to, we wouldn't want to win. They'd be made up with a draw. They'd just be quite happy if they only lost by one or two. And that that kind of attitude was was kind of in some ways what helped Manchester United to so many titles because I think teams were scared of them and. Why you know teams aren't scared of Liverpool at the moment? No one's no one's on form, and there's there's weaknesses, and they've all worked out the weaknesses. So there's a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. But last time we were on a podcast, we we tried to be positive, and you know I think on the whole we still I don't know this this season's worrying. But when you look at it, it's not actually that far away from being recoverable. I mean Manchester City haven't won every game. There's no I don't think there's anybody on a is there anyone on an unbeaten record still in the league? There's no one on a 100% record in the league now. So, you know, there's, there's still time for things to improve. And maybe now, as you say, international break, we can just sort of reset things a little bit, properly look in depth at what's going on. Players who are staying with us can be worked with in more detail to get them right and get them up for it. And, you know, when when everyone is back, there won't be a lot of time between international break and the next game but we can just maybe get plenty of ideas buzzing around and getting the players who are there to be working on them and just, just get it into them, get it instilled to get it all instilled in them. And because the way the postponements go have gone, we'll have a game in hand on some teams as well. And they're quite a handy thing to have, I find, because everyone looks at the league table and ignores the games in hand and they're like, you know, points on the board are obviously better than games in hand. But the thing is, people kind of forget the games in hand, and that's when you can start to sneak up on people. So that's that's what I'm hoping for. By Christmas, you know, we're we're well and truly forgetting this bit of a bad start to the season, but we'll have to wait and see. One, I think it's worth talking about is the reason for the postponement. So we we missed games last weekend because all the Premier League games were postponed because the Queen had died, and then this weekend we're missing a game because um, Chelsea. Um, based in London, obviously the police are saying that they're, they're basically overrun, as it is dealing with people queuing up to see the coffin and so on. So they can't really spur anyone to police a match. So this game's been postponed as well, and that also then leads us on to thinking: Well, what's happened in this country when the Queen died? There's been quite a lot of uproar, and as always, there's people misunderstanding why Liverpool fans boo national anthems, thinking that. I think when it was the FA Cup final, the then Prince William, now the Prince of Wales, was was on the pitch and we were booing the national anthem. And people assuming we were booing him. I doubt many people even necessarily realised that he was on the pitch because the booing of the national anthem, in my view, and most of the people I know, isn't about the Queen. It's because the national anthem is the anthem, in our eyes, it's the anthem of the Conservative government that have let us down for years and years and years. A lot of us might be for or against the royals themselves, but that's not that's not really, in my view, who the anger is against with the national anthem. It's not it's not the Queen that's been going around making us have to eat out of food banks. And I know we could argue on that with money and stuff that she's got money and she could maybe help more and things like that. But that's not it. It's not her doing the policies. She's just you know she's just the wealthy person who who is the sort of figurehead of state. She doesn't make the decisions, and that I think is a key difference. But of course, Liverpool fans booing that 
kind of people who just like to have a gripe have picked up on that all the all the time um a lot of them are probably brexit type people as well who sort of just want to cause trouble i'm going to say brexit type people i'm on about social media brexit type people who just love arguing with everybody and 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 think everything's the fault of the french and all that kind of stuff it's just you know it's just taken away from what we're saying and there was also some fuss well first of all let's just talk about the other night the minute silence um when you watch that back you'll take your own opinion on whether it was perfectly observed or whether it wasn't and then whether it wasn't perfectly observed whether it was observed well enough or not according to social media and certain places it wasn't done well enough and then so there's a load of crap thrown our way basically but according to people who were there that wasn't the case at all was it i mean you were there what was that minute silence like um well i'll I'll go with things backwards from what you said so first of all it wasn't it was never stated as a minute silence it was a moment of silence yeah um which was stated and okay it may have lasted 30 35 seconds something like that um and i think Everybody knew going into the game it was never going to be pin drop silence in the ground. It just was never going to be that. It was it was to be widely expected that there will be some idiots like there is in every single fan base who will want to make the voices heard for one reason or another. And I think the vast majority of Liverpool fans, myself included, adhered to the silence. I was stood in the cop in 304. If anybody knows where that is, it's dead central right behind the goal but you know two thirds three quarters of the way back and I would say 99% of the cop adhered to it with a few idiots shouting a few things you know and as stuff was south of the other people telling them to shush and, and you know it's sort of the domino effect in terms of you know somebody telling someone to shush when they've shouted something is then not being silent but you know they don't want to be seen to allow people to say obscene things if that was what people were saying um, everyone's got a right to an opinion, everyone's got a right to a voice and you know there's, there's crazy things going on where the police are tackling people lying in the streets with a piece of paper and they're being much more heavy handed with them than they are with other things going on in the country but that's for a much different debate Um the video that was circulating on social media was sort of coming from, I would say, around like the media area, where there was probably media plants from certain outlets dying for a little bit of, you know, reaction. And there inevitably was. Um, and, you know, if, if those microphones are, are all over the ground, they are going to pick up a few voices saying the wrong things and stuff like that. And, you know, if you listen to it properly, there is people, you know, telling them to shush and be quiet and whatever. And, you know, it was never going to be wholeheartedly adhered to because, you know, in this part of the world, in this part of the country, it is very anti-establishment. We've gone on about it several times. And, you know, this probably comes full circle in terms of back to the national anthem. And like you say, it's not, it's not aimed at the Queen or, you know, the current King as it now is. Um, for me, the National Anthem is sort of a representation of Englishness and, you know, it's not what the people of Liverpool, the city and the club, 
what we sort of see ourselves as representatives of. I, you know, you, you touched on the, the Brexit mentality and, you know, the international break coming up. England fans will, without a shadow of a doubt, boo with an anthem. They will boo the German anthem. They will give a lot of anti German songs and stuff like that, like a lot of offensive mm. songs. They're, they're no angels when they go abroad. They're, they're no angels in the stands either. And, you know, it's very hypocritical. And it's just not, not the behavior that we sort of see ourselves as. And a lot of the mentality, a lot of it stems also back to politics that we are very different to, to the, you know, the, the typical English sort of approach and mindset. And, and that's where it comes from as well as obviously all the political and government's, you know, history and letdowns, which it's all there as evidence for people to see. And, you know, the big one that we, we don't want to always bring up, but it comes, but a lot of it comes back to Hillsborough as well. And there's a, there's a lot of idiots online saying, you know, we should have respected the silence because that's what we expect when it comes to Hillsborough. Totally different, totally different thing. And, that that is is stupid for people to bring that up, and you know, we we all we ask for is a bit of respect, and you know, we did give the majority of respect as as what people did um, to to the minute silence, and there's a there's a population of Liverpool who are royalists, there's a population who aren't, who are anti-monarchy, anti-establishment. It's just the way it is. It's not going to change, but. I think that there was a lot of media sort of snipers waiting for for anything the other night, and we were never going to win either way. Yet we adhered to it. There would have been, you know, comments and quotes to to sort of shoot us down. And had we have, you know, had a few idiots, which there was, or had we have gone full Celtic and you know displayed banners, <laughs> then you know, <laughs> you, you're never going to win. Um, you know, people have different sides and opinions and, you know, if you lived in a world with no no opinions, then, you know, you'd just be robots. So I think it's a subject that you've got to sort of tread carefully around. But, yeah, um, I also think maybe the sceptic in me just sees that the police have called off a, a number of games this weekend. And if you look at the three games in the Premier League that have been called off, United and Leeds in Manchester... They're saying they haven't got enough police. It it it's known to be a little bit of a hostile, you know, Pennine derby. Uh, Brighton and Palace was originally called off for the trains, which was was ironic considering we had to go to London to play Man City in a train straight, but we we still had to do that because the oh. FA wanted their game. Yeah. Um, but the train strikes subsequently being cancelled, and they still can't do it because you know it's deemed as some sort of derby. I don't know what motorway links them, but they're about 28 miles apart. Yes, yeah, so um, said it's known as the M23 Derby. I don't know if that's the right motorway. We'll just go with that. The M23 well, Derby, but if it's the M23 Derby, why does the train strike make any difference then? Exactly. Yeah. And I think we've been tarred with the same brush as what we were tarred with in Paris, where, you know, it's those pesky Liverpool fans going to London. And I think it's been a very easy out for, for the authorities and the police to say, like, we were going to West London and to play Chelsea, the game could have been played on Saturday. Like the funeral is until Monday for the Queen. Um, they could have moved the game to Saturday, but you know Sky wouldn't have had their TV rights. Um, Chelsea played at home 
on Wednesday night. So, you know, with this new rule, the Champions League Wednesday games to play in Saturday lunchtime was the only sort of stipulation where you couldn't have that. We could have played at five thirty. We could have played at eight o'clock. So uh, Saturday evening, the fans would have found a way to London and back. You know, there's there's extra trains being put on for people to travel from the north of England down to London. Liverpool fans would not have minded an iota. They wouldn't. They wouldn't at all. And I think it's it was an easy out for the for the authorities and the police. And I think without it actually being put out there, I think we're being tarred with the same brush that we were tarred with in Paris. And you know, a reputation that is actually false has been put out there. And for me, that that's why the game's being cancelled. But you know, other people will say otherwise. Yeah, it's it's just like you've got to watch. There's so much bullshit around. I mean. Especially with travelling, you're right. Liverpool playing in Liverpool and Man City playing in London, trains knackered, no trains to get back on, etc. We're all expected to just get there, that kind of thing. Um, I can remember, I think it was a semi final. I'm not sure when it was. A few years ago now, our semi was played. Our, our semi was due to be played. I think I can't, I'm, I'll have to try and get it the right way around. I think our, our semi was due to be played on the anniversary of Hillsborough. So we wanted it switching. So the, the at the time they had you know a semi on a Saturday, a semi on a Sunday at Wembley. So I think it was switched around, and I think it was switched so that ours would be on the Saturday, so it wouldn't clash. And then Chelsea were up in arms, and I'm pretty sure this was coming from official channels. It wasn't just like a few trolls on Twitter. I'm pretty sure it was it was official. But I'd have to check, complaining that it would be too difficult for their fans to get home on a Sunday after the match. And I'm thinking, so it's all right for us to get home from London all the way up here in Merseyside, but you in London who have to get to another bit of London on a Sunday, it's impossible. And it just, I mean, that's where the bullshit comes in. It's just bullshit. It's just that anti-Scouse sentiment that does exist in this country. And I don't care what anyone says who tries to play it down. It does exist. It happens all the time. If if a few people in a crowd of 50-odd thousand make a bit of a danger in moment silence, then does that mean everybody in that stadium is a horrible person? No. It means a few people were in the category of maybe horrible, maybe not. Maybe they had a good reason for it. But it doesn't say everybody was that way. Most people I know... Um, a kind of indifference about the Queen dying. I mean, the, I don't know. I don't know anyone who I think would travel all the way down to London and queue for fourteen hours to walk past a coffin. But I wouldn't have a go at anyone who did. If people feel that way, then let them. I think, from a grief point of view, a lot of people have felt bad because it's reminded them of their own grief. I mean, personally, um, my dad died during COVID. It was very difficult to do anything. The, you know, it was difficult to have a normal funeral service and everything else. Difficult to work out how to travel. And what we did was we walked from 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 my mum and dad's house to the to the cemetery round the corner behind my dad in the car in the hearse. And that so the, the processions and things in London have reminded me a bit of that. But so to me, I think most people are thinking someone's lost someone. You know, it, it's just the way we are. We respect people when they've lost someone. But this this idea that you know we're all the same, we're all you know animals basically because a few people make a din is just that that's the kind of narrative that fed into everything that happened in the eighties with football because every football fan was painted the same as the minority that caused trouble, and because of what happened with Liverpool in the eighties in the, in in Heysel, we got it even more. And again, it was a minority of people who did wrong. No one is saying they were right to do what they did at Heysel. They weren't. But I didn't do it. I wasn't there. 
I was still at school, I think, at the time, and you weren't even around, probably. So, you know, why why do we get it? And it's just because there is this anti-scale sentiment. And it's that anti-scale sentiment that basically had the government wanting us to go into managed decline all those years ago. And that's what we're angry about. You know, the, the Queen and the King and all that is maybe a little bit of a separate argument, as you said. But you know, don't don't tar us all with the same brush and don't treat us that way. Have a bit of respect for us as well. You maybe you'll get some back. Yeah, I mean I I'm not a I'm not bothered in terms of what people are doing. I I think it's a little bit mental what like people are queuing for a day or twelve, eighteen hours. And I, I don't think she's even in the box to be fair. I, <laughs> I think mean, that yeah. Like it's too much I, of security risk in it. They've just somewhere Yeah, else. I mean and not only that, why would you leave a body laying in a hall for four days? No, a dead body. <laughs> she kept in a cryogenical freezer somewhere. Don't be silly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, you you crack on if that's what you want to do. Like you know, if, if it makes you feel a little bit better inside, then then yeah, go go with it. But you know, it comes as no surprise that the, the poor old lady did actually die. Like she was ninety six. She looked very frail. Um, you know, and as the, as the saying goes, she had a very good innings, and you know, she gave her life to a to a, a juices and stuff like that. But it it's not for me, royalism and stuff like that. I don't really see the point in it. I know the people who is. So Monday, for example, I'm gonna take my dog for a walk on the beach and take myself away from the whole thing because, well, it I, I'm quite quite honestly, I'm just fed up of seeing it on the telly, and yeah. it's everywhere you look now and. Um, I want a bit of like normalism back in in my life, and you know the fact that football's gone as well, I doesn't really help. The one thing that you know a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast see Liverpool and see Is football. There else I can oh, help with? Sorry, Siri, they seem to disagree with me there. Let <laughs> me watch. Um, you know, one thing that people do want in football is just to take them away from from reality that 90 minutes or whatever or to listen to a podcast an hour or two a day it takes you away from what's going on in the world and you know you can sort of be in your own little bubble um so so that's what i'll be doing on monday i won't be you know plonking myself in front of a telly with tea and biscuits and sobbing into a hanky but that's me you know and if people want to do that then that's fine but you know don't judge me for doing that because you know there'll be other people all around the country but you know if if I'm as a Liverpool fan as a Scouse person puts out there that you know I'm, I'm spending my Monday on the beach with the dog and taking a three hour walk then then I'll be vilified because of where I'm from and the club I support and that's just wrong but it'd be fully expected if it did do it and I just don't know how how the country operates like that and that is why as well we've got to be in our bonnet about it because you know, you got got idiots out there like Carl Frotch and you know the Middleton guy off SAS saying we should be made to watch this 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 program on Monday and the, this procession that goes on. Like that is why we just don't don't agree with the establishment. We don't want to be told what we have to do. We're big enough and strong enough to make up our own minds because in times in the past we've been told lies and therefore. Yeah. We're not willing to go with it. We are big enough to stand up, and that—that's what makes us unique as as Scouts people. That we are willing to stand up and have our voices heard. And if you don't want it, us, we'll get more numbers and we'll keep shouting and shouting and shouting. And sometimes you might not agree with us, but 
it's just the way we are as people and that's what makes us special and I think bringing it full circle back back to Liverpool and back to the football you know that's what we've got to do now we've got to we've got to come together as a club as a team as fans and find a way to have our voices heard because we're, we're too good to not have our voices heard we're, we've got too many good things going on for us at this current time to not be you know told to lay down and just roll over we need to come together and, and, and stand up and fight because you know th- there's things there for us to be taken in terms of trophies and matches and so on so yeah it was a long long winded way of getting there but I've sort of probably brought it back to what we actually need to do now going into the you know, after international break pre-World Cup period I think we've got something crazy like nine games in October we need to rally and we need to come together as people and fans as a club. Yeah, I mean, just quickly as well, just to finish off that whole royal family stuff, um, there was there were some questions being raised as well because Liverpool were one of the last clubs to kind of say, oh, we're terribly sorry the Queen's died or whatever social media messages that went out. A lot of them probably cut, cut and pasted off each other. Um, we were one of the last ones to do it. And when we did it on Twitter, for example, we didn't allow replies. You wouldn't allow replies on a tweet like that. If you've ever looked after a social media account that's got any kind of partisan element to it like for example a football club social media site you know what kind of crap you get and straight away there would have been people writing bile underneath it and whatever you think if people do respect the queen's died and they do want her to you know they do want her to be remembered and all the rest of it then what happens is you just put that message out there and you let them do that and anyone who isn't a fan of that message they can just scroll down to the next thing and then what the next thing will be is football and what the thing will be above it is football because that's what Liverpool are for and that is what we've said time and again on this podcast and across Anfield Index I'm sure that football is your distraction from real life and when times are good it's a really good distraction to have because it's football it's what it's what you live for and yeah we've got to find other things to do you'll be walking the dog I'd probably if I can't think of another excuse, I'll probably finally tidy this room up that I'm sitting in that I've been meaning to do for weeks. Other than that, though, yeah, there's, there's, I won't be watching the telly unless um, I can get hold of it and watch Netflix or something. But that's fine. That's what we do. And if we were going to be forced to watch things, isn't that what we fought for? Well, what our grandparents fought for in the World Wars was freedom to do what we choose to a certain extent. Being forced to watch something on TV sounds more like something Adolf Hitler would have imposed on us. So whoever's coming out with stuff like that maybe needs to have a bit of a think about why they're saying stuff like that. But football, I wouldn't force anyone to watch football, especially some of our games. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, there's been some good games. But this this gap, and again, there's people now saying... For whatever reason, we shouldn't have called the games off because of because of the future pilots that are going to come up. In reality, we shouldn't be in a situation where one weekend of postponements can cause hell in the in the fixture calendar. And there's just too much greed in football still that all these different bodies want their piece of flesh. So the World Cup takes a big chunk out of the winter. The football season doesn't end that much later and doesn't start that much earlier to make up for this loss in the middle. And that's partly because you know full well clubs are going to be looking at next summer how many friendlies can we fit in in lucrative places overseas and UEFA are not going to sort of cut down the Champions League a bit. In fact, they want more games. It's just money, 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 isn't it? And 
there's no one running the game in sort of overhead. There's no one like overseeing it who's not got a vested interest in it. FIFA have a vested interest in getting that World Cup on. So they're not going to say, oh, hang on a minute, let's just cut down what's being played. And as much as we love football, it gets to a point where is the quality getting ruined because there's so many games? And I think it does. Yeah, you could probably say that's that's maybe the case. I think you know, just just a quick one. We were having a, a discussion the other week in work, and saying like the quality of strikers in the English game, like number nine. So like, we were obviously on about Erling Haaland and the the freaking age that he is and stuff. But like such a thing as a number nine these days, and I know we've got one of our own, which we're waiting to start firing. Maybe that'll that'll be something we can discuss on a, on a later podcast, but. You know the the art of defending and stuff like that these days. Was, was football better in the nineties? I think maybe the the level of of players across the board was probably better. I think in in terms of so many you know good defenders, so many number nines, so many good midfielders. It seems a lot more, as you say, diluted now because everyone wants a piece of the action, and there's only so much of the pie that will go round, and you know. Clock bleats on all the time. Like we're, we're playing too much, there's too many games and stuff like that. And he, he gets vilified for it, but he's right because as much as we love going to football, you want to see good football. And then if it if it is the case that maybe this season our players are just absolutely, you know, worn down, there's no tread left on the tires. We do need some new ones, but you know, if you keep rolling these tires out, eventually they're gonna pop and they're gonna burst and. You know, you can't keep doing it forever. Um, I just don't know where it would end because you've got some crazy American guy at Chelsea now calling for all-star games, which, no. you know, where, where where do you even begin with that? I think, you know, I don't know. The idea on one hand seems really good, but on the other hand, I don't know if it would work and stuff like that. And would it not just be like a Northern team, for example, Dave and Carl on the Scouts podcast I listened to this morning, you know, the Northern teams, Liverpool and Man City, the Southern team is majority of these Spurs, Chelsea and Arsenal. So, you know, unless you put stipulations on it, that ain't going to work anyway. Um, and saying that, you know, all the money would go back into the pyramid, absolutely wouldn't because no. there's too many people who would be around that, you know, sort of occasion that would want to take their own slice of the pie, the money in their back pocket. And poor old Fleetwood Town and Tramia Rovers and not getting anything out of that one, you know. So, yeah, I mean, we could go on forever and a day um, in terms of the wrongs within football. Um, you know, maybe maybe the international break is something we need because, you know, as you said, it's a distraction that we all want in terms of having football and, and support Liverpool and, yeah, we we we've said earlier on that we we probably do need a little bit of time away and as much as you know you're conflicted in terms of what's going on in the UK if you live here and all the all the royalty and stuff like that that would probably be over by Tuesday and Wednesday and you know you are going to be bombarded with international football the only good thing I can say that is coming out of it is there's some lovely World Cup kits coming out and <laughs> if you are a fan of kits and especially international kits because they don't have sponsors plastered all over them. There is some really nice ones coming out there, and you know I might have to delve myself into a couple of international shirts just to, you know, please myself because I have this pride thing where a lot of 
scouts people do where you don't wear your club shirt, but you'll wear shirts of other clubs. Um, yeah. You know, you know, the cap thing is a big thing at the moment for those lads who go away from home. They collect caps. I sort of wear foreign shirts, you know, for around the house and stuff like that. So there's a couple of nice ones coming out. So if you are looking for something nice in football at the moment, do check out a couple of uh, international football shirts. The Dutch one looks splendid on Virgil as well, I must say. Yeah, I was going to say, I quite fancy the idea of a Dutch one because, um, well, because of Virgil, but even, you know, as long as it was half decent looking, but that there will, I'm sure, be a link, but one shirt got leaked, didn't it, by mistake, because they were, um, they were trying to hold it back. They were going to release it. It was going to be released this week, but they are going to hold it back because of other stuff going on with the Queen, but they accidentally released it in a montage of, or if you like, a collection of shirts they're doing, and that was the England one. Um, so you have you seen that? Have you going to get your hands on that one? Can't see it myself. Uh, no, it looks like Mike Ashley, <laughs> sports director, come up with that one in about four and a half minutes. It's uh, bad, isn't it? But, yeah, I mean, I suppose it suits the team. If you want a mediocre shirt to go with a mediocre team, you know, it sort of goes hand in hand. Harry Maguire will look great in it. Jack Grealish will look great in it. Um, yeah, crack on. Yeah. Who, who makes the Dutch shirt then? Is it um, who it's their Nike. sponsors? It's Nike. I was going to say because Nike can be a bit hit and miss, can't they, with this stuff? But, you know, I always yeah. used to love an Adidas one, but even they lost the weight at times. Nike have got, a, they've got a few countries, but what they've done is, you know, they, each country has their own sort of uniqueness, especially in the home shirts. So, you know, like yeah. um, the Dutch one will have a pattern on the Croatia shirts are always nice if you went to that sort of checkered pattern. Um, but they've sort of got this collar thing that we've got sort of going on with our training kit, which I do like as well. Um, at the moment, the sort of grey and red um, collar on the on the uh, training kit, they've sort of that's their mantra this season, and they've applied it to the Croatia shirt. But with the red and white checks, it sort of works. And the navy and sky blue one that Croatia wear a while as well looks really good. So you know, if you are gonna catch any of the World Cup and watch Modric do his stuff at 39 years of age or whatever he is these days, then at least he'll look good doing it. Yeah, I mean the World Cup is like, it's, it's going to be strange having it on at the time of year we have it, but I'm sure we'll all be getting into it and we'll be we'll be glad when, you know, just it's just that thing like when it's your own player involved, your own club player, and you see him going in for hard tackles or getting on the end of a hard tackle, you worry don't you throughout it, but it, it, in a way, I suppose the World Cup is going to be a distraction in itself this this winter because wherever we are in the league, it gives us like an enforced mid-season break. I know it's not a break for the players, but it's a break for the clubs and, and for the football itself and gives us something to look back back at. And I'm sure it's going to be hyped to hell who's top of the league then and so on, as if that's it, the league's over. But of course, the way it is with Sky and the rest of them, the league's always over every weekend until the next day when it's all to play for again and they just have this cycle, don't they? If it's all all to play for this weekend, that's the league decider next day. No, that wasn't the league decider. Next week's the league decider and it, we just all fall for it. It's it's just how football is. But I think that's another thing that's different as well with the World Cup, at least in on these shows, is that it's not Sky and it's not BT covering it. So generally speaking, the coverage can be okay. It just depends. It's just... Um, well, there's going to be a bit of Danny Murphy, I'm sure, so it's not all good, but, you know, it can be much better, the coverage, than maybe, I don't know, maybe lessons to be learned, because I, I do find that the terrestrial channels, as we call them, seem to be better at doing things than, than the, pay, the pay channels. Yeah, you, 
you, you'll get a mix of what is on Sky and BT plus you know a mix of of others. Um, so you know you'll you'll still get Mika Richards clowning about with a silly laugh, but then you do tend to get the odd you know ex player. I think BBC are probably more adept at you know pulling out some old players from other countries. You who you, you quite yeah. like to listen to. I think they sort of they have a niche market where they'll they'll pull out a few ex professionals who played in the league but are representatives of other countries, which which often is a decent listen, um, better than ITV anyway. And you know, if I've just given the BBC credit there somehow, I don't know how I've managed to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I was actually thinking as well. Like, I'm keep going back to this Queen stuff as well. Like, there's people watching all that stuff and that. I'm like, I'm surprised they've not done like a match of the day version of it every night. You know, all the stuff that's been going on. Just <laughs> done like a quick half hour. I've got Alan Shearer to say what he thinks, but um, you know, maybe it's something there for him to think of next time a monarch dies. I'm sure it won't be that long. But no, it's been it's been a weird start to the season. I think we've both agreed that it's been a weird start. But I think. There's things to be done, things to be improved, but I think I think the key thing out of all the stuff we've said today is what you said that as as the city we're all you know, we we've always had to stick together, we've always had to work with each other, we've always got to have each other's backs. And as a club, when we've been doing that on the pitch and in the stands, that's when we've been at our best and that's when we've been at our strongest. You know, going back to when Bill Shankly talked about stuff like that, you know, all the way back to then. If we're all together in it, we're all fighting together, we've got the best chance ever, because no matter how good we are that makes us better. So, um, how long till the next game? I think. I think that's what I think it is. So between now and then, it's just about you know getting behind the team. You know, just just looking at you know, yeah, we need to say why is the midfield been left left to go to to bare bones the way it has. But on the whole, those players who were there are the ones we've got to work with. And I don't think there's any player who is although there's players who haven't put a, the best games. I don't really think there's anyone who hasn't. At least tried the best. They're just not. They're just struggling. And yeah, it's got. We've got plenty, plenty of games to come. We're going to try and get some more podcasts through as well. So you've got something to distract you as well while all this other stuff's going on. And hopefully back very, very soon. But thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index, and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.